It's Wednesday, January 3rd, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and uh, quite a few interesting things have happened in the sport of college basketball since the last time we talked on Sunday afternoon. Notre Dame, All-American Bonzi Colson, out for eight weeks, fractured foot. That's not good for the Fighting Irish. Kevin Stallings was roaming the sideline, cracking on Louisville's scandal last night, so that's gotten a lot of attention. Tennessee lost at home to Bruce Pearl's Auburn Tigers, so... Uh, the Vols have gone from one of the best stories in college basketball to 0-2 in the SEC. They might be settling in to a little bit closer to what we actually thought they were going to be in the preseason. We will get to to most of that, if not all of that, in a bit. But I want to start with the big news. And the big news, of course, is Texas Tech beat Kansas last night inside Allen Fieldhouse. Beat Kansas last night uh, by uh, double digits. And it appears that the Jayhawks' uh, 13-year run of Big 12 titles is in serious jeopardy. I said last week... On this Ion College Basketball Podcast from a patio in Florida that if you offered me the field or Kansas in the Big 12 race, I'd take the field. And I'm even more sure of that today than I was then. But, Norlander, I read your column. You're still on Kansas. You still think they're going to be able to get this done. I am not picking against Kansas to win the Big 12 until it doesn't win the Big 12. That's fine. But you recognize what's happened so far this season. What's happened so far this season is they've lost three games. Um three games uh, that are essentially home games. I know the one against Washington wasn't in uh, Allen Fieldhouse, but it's like basically a home game. It's been funny on Twitter watching Kansas fans try to explain how Kansas City isn't really an advantage for Kansas. I'm like, get out of here. Like, listen, it's not Allen Fieldhouse, but it ain't, you didn't play that game in Seattle either. All right. So like they've lost a game there by I think nine points. Then they lose by double digits in Allen Fieldhouse to Arizona State. Double digits to Texas Tech inside Allen Fieldhouse. They've got two double-digit losses inside Allen Fieldhouse already. Do you know the last time that happened to Bill Self? 2006-2007, they lost to Nevada and Iowa State in the same year. No, no, no. Lost by double digits twice inside Allen Fieldhouse. Oh, lost by double digits. Uh, I'm going to blindly get – did you say Bill Self or Kansas last time it happened? Bill Self. So uh, I'll say it happened when he was at Tulsa. No, 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 no. I meant Bill Self at Kansas. Oh, okay. We're clearly off to a rollicking start here. <laughs> I'll say his first season in Lawrence. It never happened. It's never happened until now, Damn and you. it's already happened this season, and it's January 3rd. And so uh, one of the things I pointed out uh, last night on CBS Sports Network on our Inside College Basketball show where we were discussing this postgame is that if you want to like chalk the Washington loss up to a hey, fluky deal – these things happen in college basketball. You know, Florida lost to Loyola, Chicago. Notre Dame lost to Ball State. You know, Kansas lost to Washington. What are you going to do? Fine. I, I, I never really subscribed to that, but whatever. But when you combine that with Arizona State, and even if you want to say, hey, what we know now is Arizona State's a legit top 10 team. Like, nothing shameful about losing to them. But then you add the Texas Tech thing on top of it. And what we're watching now is literally things that have never happened to Bill Self at Kansas happen, and that makes me more skeptical maybe than ever that they're going to be able to pull this off for two reasons. I don't think they're the best team in the league, and there are a lot of other really good teams in the league, and when you give me the field over them, 
it just seems like I think any sort of math person would tell me I'm on the right side of this. Well, unquestionably, you are on the right side of it. I'm just being stubborn about this. And until they don't finish atop the Big 12 standings, I will not pick against them. Similarly to Wisconsin, which will not finish in the top four of the Big Ten this season. Well, actually, yeah. maybe they will. Who, who <laughs> you, the bet, you, bet, you better move off that one now, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so a few thoughts yeah. on this. Uh, yeah. On a, on a personal note, so uh, my brother is moving from Connecticut to Arizona and driving cross-country, and he called me yesterday morning and said he was originally going to try and get to Tulsa, and he was like, hey, what do you, like, should I go to the Kansas game tonight if I want to, like, change my route? And I was like, 1,000%, yes, absolutely, you need to go to Allen Fieldhouse, that, that you have, you know, unintentionally gotten your trip aligned with this, that you could get into Lawrence and go to this game, you can get tickets, without a doubt, do it. So he and uh, his buddy that he's driving with, uh, they wind up doing it. And I tell him, listen, man, it's going to be a great environment. You're going to get to see a Kansas home win. You're going to get to hear the really, really cool, unique rock chalk Jayhawk chant at the end of the game. It's my favorite. Yeah, it's a, it's and in that building, it's it's uh, it really is something like spooky cool. And and lo and behold, my brother instead sees a rarity and sees Kansas drop a home game in Texas Tech put up one of the most confidently looking victories I've ever seen any team put on Kansas not in the NCAA tournament. It was really impressive. Um, let me go. Let me do Kansas first and then get to Texas Tech. Um, let me that, ask you a question okay. first. What your brother have to? What your brother have to pay for tickets? Uh, you know what? They, he said he was about twenty five rows up, about center court. He shared the photo with me. Uh, pretty cool photo. I was thrilled for him to do that, by the way, just because he had never be- he's been to like Big East tournament and stuff, but he had never been to like a home arena of a major college basketball program before. And it was it was so so cool for him to do that. I think they only paid like ninety five bucks a piece for the tickets, which isn't bad. And I think it's because Kansas is an elite and Texas Tech just isn't like a massive draw of a game on a Tuesday night just after New Year's. So I think those tickets normally would have been you know upward of about one hundred fifty bucks a pop. But he got a pretty decent deal on them, so that was pretty. That's cool. that's slower than I would have anticipated. I asked because I got buddy from Memphis who um, is working in Iowa right now. Has been like spending a lot of time up there over the past year, and he had some clients who wanted to go to an Iowa State game. I think they were going to be in town for uh, maybe briefly, and like you know, I heard about Hilton Coliseum and like, hey, we'd like to go see that. And he started looking for tickets, and he this is he didn't put a number on it. But he said trying to buy Iowa State tickets right now, even when they're like maybe the worst team in the league, is like to get a decent ticket, it's like trying to buy tickets to the Grizzlies and Golden State Warriors at FedEx yeah. Forum. He's Crazy. like, it's inc- He's like, I can't believe what Iowa State basketball tickets uh, cost. And I, I, I suppose the explanation for that would be, you know, there's nothing else. There's nothing else to do <laughs> in, 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 in Ames. And so everybody goes to. Uh, watch the Cyclones, and if that's that kind of price right now, I'd be interested to know like what were they making scalpers and ticket sites, SeatGeek specifically. What were they making right. off of you know when Fred had that thing rolling the way he had it rolling? So uh, anyway, I don't mean to get off track, but the Kansas tickets being only ninety five center court, twenty five rows. I think that's a good price. I hope he got him on SeatGeek. I think uh, I think you know his buddy got him, and he very well might have might well have gotten him on uh, on SeatGeek. And yeah, I was surprised they were that low as well. But that went into the decision making because if they were like two hundred a pop, I think they were going to maybe pass on it. But uh, but regardless, happy for him to to get that opportunity. And shout out to my brother Kyle. Um, Kansas. 
I wrote in the column that I, not just that I'm not going to necessarily give up on him. Like Bill Self is considered a top five X and O strategy coach in the sport by by his peers for a reason. Uh, it's not like Devontae Graham suddenly sucks. Um, Malik Newman isn't as good as anyone really was banking on him being. I was not in that group. Uh, I have never been on the Malik Newman bus. Like from the get go as a prospect, I just haven't seen it, and he's never really shown it. So that's an area of concern. But I with Silvio D'Souza set to join Kansas's lineup, and I am going to anticipate that he's going to be a player that can produce not be a top three player on the team but on a given night yeah maybe be a top three player of importance uh, I'm counting on that still have no idea what's up with the Billy Preston situation he's not eligible uh, that clearly has a, has a big impact and when he gets on the floor I don't think like he'll be as important uh, or as good as D'Souza can be um, but I still like Kansas's chances because this oddly helps Kansas in that eight of the first nine games in Big 12 play. Shout out to Doug Gottlieb for mentioning this and bringing it to people's attention. I, I knew that a lot of road teams had won. I didn't realize it was this. Eight of the first nine games in league play have been won by the road team. Um, so that, you know, it's a small thing that helps Kansas ultimately if it's going to chase that 14th straight championship uh, in regular season play. I, I do think they will get this right. They are just only one and one. I We can take into account what they've done and how they've stumbled in non-conference play. That's totally fair. The Big 12 is very, very good this season, but I'm just not going to count them out yet. Let's circle back here in two and a half, three weeks and see where we are with Kansas, see where we are with the rest of the league, and see if uh, some teams take on losses that they shouldn't because that there's just the Big 12, like clockwork, has that going for them. For Texas Tech, real quick here, GP, uh, they, uh, they looked – just like a top 10 team that is so well coached. Uh, Chris Beard is absolutely a rising star in this industry. Uh, when he helped Little Rock get to the NCAA tournament and got a win there, that obviously put his profile out there in a big way to the point that UNLV wanted him to be its coach. Then he spurned UNLV maybe even after he signed. I think he did sign that contract, um, or he was set to, and then he takes the— Oh, no, he, signed, he was the coach. Yeah, he was the coach. And then he, yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't like he said, "Yeah, I'll take the job," and then said, "I never mind." Like he was UNLV's coach. Crazy, but yeah. he he cut his teeth at Texas Tech and was uh, a staffer under under Bob Knight. Now he's got them at thirteen and one. Still just forty four years old. His best days are ahead of them. They've got a top five defense right now. They are number five at Ken Palm. That is a wow for Texas Tech. I doubt they have ever been top five in the history of Ken Palm at any point in a given season. Um, absolutely for real uh, I love Zaire Smith he's a he's a freshman who I need to start giving closer looks to when it comes to the frosh watch Keenan Evans he's just a valuable senior who from what I can tell and what I've seen of him and when I've watched Texas Tech seems to always make the right kind of shots and when I was watching the game last night I brought up Texas Tech's team stats and they are an uncommon team in that They've got seniors, and then they've got freshmen for the most part. You normally don't get a roster constructed like that in college basketball where it's such extremes in terms of the minutes that are being played and how who you're relying on. They've got a few juniors in there as well, but um, they've got, like, I think between seniors and freshmen, I think it makes up, like, GP. I think it's, like, nine of the roster spots or something like that. Um, so it is a weird construction. But Beard knows what he's doing. They look really, really good. They're going to be in the tournament, and this is the win that should have people, you know, 
proclaiming that Texas Tech is for real. Like, just because they're not good in on a year-in-a-year-out basis and they were sort of anonymous under Tubby Smith, don't think that they're just like a whatever team that's going to be an eight seed and be out the first weekend. They are absolutely good enough to get to the second weekend because of their defense. And as you saw last night, like, when they can really get humming on offense and move the ball, like, they're damn impressive. So they would be my – even though Trey Young's been awesome in Oklahoma, right now, you know, I think Kansas will share the league standings at the end of the season. I think Texas Tech is going to be that team that finishes the top of the league. And then maybe you got that Oklahoma TCU West Virginia log jam behind them. The Big 12 already is looking awesome. So uh, some history on Texas Tech. Obviously, Tubby Smith in his last year there took Texas Tech to the NCAA tournament, and he left uh, Chris Beard some some nice pieces, most notably Keenan Evans. But the truth is, three. This is not like a Tubby Smith coach team or Tubby Smith's players that Chris is doing this with. Three of his top four scores are players that he enrolled after getting the Texas Tech job in March of 2016. And four of the top six scores are players that he enrolled after getting the job in March 2016. And of the Tubby Smith players that are still in the Texas Tech program, I think three out of the four, or certainly most, I could call it most, are playing fewer minutes right now than they played two years ago, which is evidence that Chris has recruited better players than he inherited. And so this is his rebuild. And he's shown the ability to 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 rebuild it not only successfully but but rather quickly and when you do what he did at Little Rock and then back it with what he's doing right now at Texas Tech like first off you're never supposed to do at Little Rock what he did at Little Rock win 30 games and you're never supposed to do at Texas Tech what he's doing at Texas Tech right now even if we just focus strictly on winning at Allen Fieldhouse and so first time ever in program history right I mean, so he's got the he's got the goods, and I don't even care if Kansas isn't what we thought Kansas was going to be in the preseason. It's still freaking Kansas. It's still Bill Self. It's still Allen Fieldhouse. But that program and those guys to go into that building and get that win, just a, a tremendous, tremendous effort. And right now, for whatever it's worth, but it is at least worth pointing out, at Ken Palm, Texas Tech is projected to finish in the Big 12 with a 13-5 and record and win the Big 12 outright. Wouldn't that be something? It really would be something that make for a great story. And if that happens, I want to remind listeners like how good the Big 12 is. If that happens, if Texas Tech finishes atop the regular season standings in the Big 12, at absolute worst, at worst, we are looking at a three seed for the Red Raiders. More likely as a two, and obviously a one will be on the table depending on what kind are, of victory. Are you out of your mind? If they win the Big 12 outright, that's a one seed. Uh, it, well, it, no, I mean, details matter and wins matter. And if they lose their first game in the Big 12 tournament, like that's still like if they if they win the Big 12 outright, but that that is a 11 win uh, season or whatever, like there still could be other things that happen around them that prevent them from getting a one seed. I can't you I will, can't definitively say they'll be a one seed if they win the regular season. I will definitively say this. I will give you one thousand dollars cash if Texas Tech a wins the Big 12 outright and then isn't a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Okay, cool. What are you going to give me? I'm not laying anything. You just said <laughs> it's on the record, my friend. It's 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 on the record, so I will gladly take that. Um, okay, when you're trying to figure out what's wrong with Kansas, uh, there, there's a lot of things. I think most notably they don't have um, the roster that they expected to have. You mentioned you've never been a fan of Malik Newman. I've always been intrigued by the talent, but when I talk to NBA scouts about him, they say he's a shooting guard who can't shoot. Period. Like, that's what he is. He's not a point guard who gets to the rim. That was his reputation. Like, a combo guard gets to the rim. It's not really what he is. He's a shooting guard who can't shoot, and that's a, 
uh, that's a problem. And you know, he's he's fine. Like he's a good college player, but he's certainly not what anybody thought he was going to be uh, coming out of high school in Mississippi when he initially signed and enrolled at uh, Mississippi State. One thing I noticed though is that this team, because last night they shot 26 three pointers, they only made six. It's 23.1%. And this Kansas team is shooting a higher percentage of its field goal attempts from beyond the arc than literally any Bill Self team has ever done, at least since Bill Self's been at Kansas, and I'm going to assume any Bill Self team ever. Um, I just don't have the data to go look all that up. But I'm, I, I, think, I feel like it's reasonable to assume if this is – if this is five percentage points higher than any Bill Self coach Kansas team ever, it's going to be higher than any Bill Self coach team ever. Right now, they're shooting 41.1% of their field goal attempts from three-point range. And if you look at the three losses, Washington, Arizona, and Texas Tech, they didn't shoot it well in any of those games. Five of 20 is 25% against Washington. 14 of 38, 36.8% against Arizona State. That's not terrible, but it is below their season average. And six of 26 against Texas Tech from beyond the arc, 23.1%. They average shooting 40.9% from three on the season. That's good. But when you shoot uh, you know, 41% of your field goal attempts from beyond the arc, and you have those nights where you're not making them, you're going to be susceptible to getting caught. Whether you're playing a team as bad as Washington or anybody inside Allen Fieldhouse, and we, you know, I, I think that's already been proven three times so far, and I bet you it's going to be proven uh, a handful of more times before the season's over. Yeah, that's an interesting stat there. Um, they need to be more consistent from from deep, and they are going by necessity of what the roster looks like. They're going to have to continue to do that. But you know, if they get the bigs inside, they will uh, they will certainly be more reliable. You speak about bigs inside, though. Like, let's transition real quick to Bonzi because Notre Dame. He's you know he's a tweener forward who kind of does it all. Um, announced Tuesday night that he's going to be out at least eight weeks. Notre Dame without Bonzi Colson. They have one win against a top 70 Ken Palm team, GP. That comeback win that they got against Wichita State in the in the Maui Championship that they easily could have lost and maybe probably should have lost. Um, and now, you know, they got a home game here Wednesday night against NC State. Um, Mike Bray, if he gets it, he's going to be the all-time winningest coach in Notre Dame history. This is, I, I, you know, I'll share a little bit about what I wrote in my column after I toss it, or after I toss it back to you here. But uh, my question for you is: Will Notre Dame make the NCAA tournament? No, I don't think so. And it's not simply because it's. I mean, how do you go through an ACC schedule without your best player? I mean, that's tough, um, especially when you know, like maybe. Somebody like Duke could do it because they've got so many awesome players and awesome. You know, at Notre Dame, they don't recruit at that level. Mike would tell you that. And so you lose Bonzi Colson, like that hurts. I mean, I think you could reasonably say Marvin Bagley, better basketball player than Bonzi Colson. Duke could deal with losing Marvin Bagley better than Notre Dame could deal with losing Bonzi Colson. Is that fair? It is fair. And you mentioned their best player. Let's reinforce the fact that he was on pace to be a first team All America. Well, he was a preseason first team All American. He was, right? yeah, but and then he and then yeah. he, he backed it up with his play. Like it wasn't sure. just that he was their best player, like arguably top five player in America at this point. Yeah, I don't disagree. And so you lose that guy for eight weeks with a fractured foot, and this Big Twelve schedule—I mean, ACC schedule—is going to be—it's tough no matter what. It's tough for everybody no matter what, but it's especially tough when you lose a guy like Bonzi Colson again, somebody who might be one of the five best players in America. 
And then you combine that with even when they had Bonzi Colson, they didn't get much done. They've got a loss to Ball State on the resume, a loss to a terrible Indiana team on the resume, and that's with Bonzi Colson. So if your resume with Bonzi Colson is, yeah, a nice win, but like kind of a miracle win over Wichita State, but either way, it counts, so let's count it. But you've got loss, you've already got two sub-90 Kempheim losses with Bonzi Colson. What are you trying to get done without him? I um, I guess I'd never completely count out Mike Bray, but again, if we just keep throwing around, what would we do if we had a hundred thousand dollars and we had to throw it one way or another? I'd bet a, I'd bet against Notre Dame making the NCAA oh, tournament. Man. Just let me take so let me take you in here. This is uh, the timing. of This is just bonkers. So I was in South Bend last week, sat down with Mike Bray for the better part of like four and a half, five hours, basically, and um, we got to talk. So. UConn announced Altariq Gilbert was out for the season, and then like within minutes, Maryland announced that Justin Jackson was out for the season, and we got to talking about just losing big-time players and how that affects your program, and Mike was talking about everything from the ACC is a little down this year, but it's still really good, and take a look at our schedule, okay? We got to go to Clemson. He said this is the best Clemson team of the past five years, six years. They just are. You can look at them, no doubt about it. They got to go to Duke. They got to go to North Carolina. They got to go to Virginia. And then he mentioned, I think they had a, a tough home and home in there as well. Uh, they get Miami in South Bend. They don't have to go to Miami, but otherwise they have to play every other top team in the league on the road. And he well, said they, he get, told us, uh, they get they got home and home at Boston College, which Duke has shown isn't simple. Right, exactly. So he was sharing with me that he told his players this, and he told local media this earlier. He said, "Listen, guys, like this was you know a few weeks ago. You know we got Bonzi, we got Matt, but it's it is not easy. What we are doing it will not be easy. It's not going to be easy in league play, just because we have two you know higher profile players, and we've been to the tournament, and our offense is looking good, and you know Rex Fluger's made ter- plays in the tournament." Um, don't just assume that this is going to be something easy. It's it's not. It's going to be tough. He's telling me this before Bonzi Colson hurts himself. But then he starts joking like, well, he first and then he starts talking about how in the season, and I can't remember the team he was talking about, but there was some injury in the preseason or early in the season to a to a significant player to a to a team and the next day he was just like, "Nope, we're we're not doing all these workouts. We're, you know, I don't want to even chance this with my guys." And then the Maryland and UConn stuff happens. And then we're sitting together and Marcus Foster goes down for Creighton in their game against Seton Hall and he goes, "Practice is off for tomorrow." And he starts right. laughing like he's going to legitimately cancel practice. He doesn't. In that practice, Bonzi Colson is running down the floor. It's not it's not a bang-bang play. It's a non-contact injury. He feels a pop in the next damn practice that he was joking about canceling. That is cruel irony That's there, and he played in that next game because they were hoping. Bray was telling me on Wednesday they were hoping it was just going to be a strain. They were taking it. He just he kind of fought through it. Then Sunday came, Monday came. It was still there. Tuesday finally comes. It's not getting better. He wasn't practicing. He goes. They get an X-ray. Sure enough, there's a fracture. Doctors say it's got to be surgery, and it's Bray's nightmare come to life here it was the one thing he was trying to avoid he was telling me that he was taking Farrell and Colson days after games not running them hard he was preserving them basically as much as he could because there is no six man on this team there is no seventh man he's like I want to be able to go seven deep in the tournament I'm waiting for those players to establish themselves to step up and so because of that I'm not running my guys ragged because he was so worried about this very thing happening and then ironically it happens just when Colson is running up and down the floor the one other thing he said, and he told Andy Cassis as well, Notre Dame has put an eight-week timeline on this. 
But Bray, like if they're not going to make the tournament, Colson's not going to play again. Um, if they do make the tournament, I still think he's going to have to be 100% because Bray is concerned, and coaches more and more think about this because, frankly, it'll kill you in recruiting if you don't. He's got to look out for Colson uh, come NBA draft time. This is his senior year, and he will have a chance to be drafted, but he's not going to put him back on the floor early, jeopardize his draft status. So there's going to be no rushing him back. I would love to see him back on the floor. It would be great if Notre Dame gets him back, makes the tournament, and then he like balls out and they get to a Sweet 16. That would be an awesome story. There's no guarantee of that. There's a very real possibility that Colson has played his last game in college, and with that has, has unfortunately ruined his shot at being in All-America. I guess to that I'd say this. Um... The difference between college basketball and college football is that you're never really, quote, out of it, you know, because of the conference tournament and the automatic bid. And so I'm I'm completely on board, obviously, with you don't rush back Bonzi Colson, you don't rush back anybody. Um, but if he's healthy enough to play, I don't think you make the decision, but we're not going to play him because we're not going to make the NCAA tournament. Because as long as you've got, you know, in poker terms, a chip in a chair, you, you've got a shot. You know, you can – I'd rather go try to win uh, the AAC tournament than the ACC tournament. But if you're in that tournament you and you get hot, you can theoretically get an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. So um, I, I just don't think you're ever, quote, out of it the way you are in some other sports, Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA. You get to places where you're out of it. But college basketball, because of those conference tournaments, you're, you're never technically out of it until you lose – uh, in a conference tournament. And so for that reason, um, if he does get healthy enough to come back, I would suspect that he comes back. I would think that he'd want to, and I would think that, that Mike would, would want him to. And so, listen, we'll have to see how the foot heals, obviously. Uh, but I, you know, eight weeks from today still gives you plenty of cushion, even if you're not, you know, uh, it gives you a little bit of cushion, even if you don't heal as fastly as you possibly could. To, to be back on the court. I bet we see him again. I mean, who knows for sure, but I bet yeah. we see him again. Okay, so let's just lay this out for listeners here, and then we can uh, circle back in a, in a couple months. Because right now, the timeline basically means like two weeks. Notre Dame's last game in the regular season is March 3rd at Virginia. Let's just, you know, that's basically two months, I should say. That's that's two months from today. Maybe he's good for the ACC tournament. Maybe Notre Dame's in a position where they need him on the floor to have a chance to get that on him. They're like a super bubble team. they got to, you know, Well, let, well let, let, let me do the numbers on this. Because today is January 3rd. Right. I think sometimes people get confused with months and weeks. One week is the 10th. Two weeks is the 17th. Three is the 24th. Four is the 31st. Five is the 7th of February. Six is the 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. Seven is the 21st. Eight is the 28th. Eight weeks from today is February 28th. They're home against Pitt. Senior night. Yeah, so that would be... Maybe. Senior... They would have two regular season games left, Pitt and Virginia, and then, of course, you get a few days off and then the ACC tournament. Maybe. We'll see. I would love to see them. All right, so you said they will not make the NCAA tournament and Colson will return. Um, I think they will make the NCAA tournament and Colson will return. I'll say he's back. Um, Man, I'd love to see him back sooner or later, but I'll say he gets back – it's interesting. He's going to want if he can play. He's going to really, really want to play on that senior night because it's also we're going to get to pit here in just a second. Don't you worry. Um, he's going to it's it's a win. It's a very winnable game, and so he's going to want to play in that if he's good to go there. Um, man, but you know, Bray said he's going to be he's going to be real safe. He's just concerned about him being fully healthy, which he has the right to. Um, 
this schedule is a bear. I think that Bray is a terrific, and I don't use that word lightly, I think he is a terrific coach that has grown into a coach that just knows how to to use the right pieces, push the right buttons. He's very um, efficiently minded when it comes to practice and game, what the team is doing right, the, the stats that you know don't even show up on Ken Palm that are kept by managers that indicate like when we do X, Y, and Z, here's how we wind up in the plus column. And when we don't, here's how we wind up in the minus. I think they are going to just slip in. Get me, Mark me down for Notre Dame going to Dayton first four. Hmm. We'll see. Yep. Let's uh, wrap this up. We'll talk about uh, Pitt. <laughs> with, well, not Pitt specifically. I mean, they're they're bad. They've been right, bad for a couple but... years now. They were stupid to push Jamie Dixon out the door to lower his buyout to encourage him to go to TCU. They're going to regret that decision for a long time. And I said it on the day that they did it. Let's take that. Put it over here. Kevin Stallings team playing at Louisville last night, and apparently he's being heckled by somebody. Now, there's some debate about whether he's being heckled by Louisville fans or Pitt fans, and I guess like either one makes sense given the state of things. But either way, he got to a point where he was tired of hearing what uh, whomever was saying, and he countered in a loud way that was caught on audio by some media outlet there, and he actually repeated it. So it wasn't like he said it once and then said, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Like He said it twice, and what he said was, um, well, hey, you know, we, we didn't pay $100,000 for our players. The, the point being, you guys had to fire your Hall of Fame coach because you got caught paying $100,000 or at least agreeing to pay $100,000 uh, to the family of Brian Bowen. My question for you, because Kevin's taking a lot of heat over this, um, was it a good comeback to a heckler? Or you're a Division One head coach, you got to stay above that. Man, it's both. You're an enemy. You're in enemy territory, and if it's a Pitt fan, it's even more hilarious because you're at Louisville. Um, you're speaking truths, okay? You you do need to be above this. Um, you just absolutely need to be above this because then you just make yourself ripe for so much more criticism from the media and from fans going forward. Like, and you're already in a bad spot with Pitt. Um, very few people think you were the right guy for the job to begin with. Even with like, even if Jamie Dixon leaves, there weren't a lot of people that saw the Stallings hire as one that was going to end well for Pitt and for Stallings, and that's the pace they're on right now. And frankly, it would take years to reverse this course, and I don't think this course is going to get reversed. They're eight and seven right now. They were not even close to competitive against a Louisville team that looked brutal in its most recent outing. Um, I I don't deny though that Stallings doing this thing is. It's entertaining, <laughs> and uh, like I couldn't. When I listened to that clip, I, I, I couldn't. What you mentioned, GP, I couldn't believe that he said it again. Like it wasn't like he said it once and then it was just like a whatever. He, like he says it, then there's like a three second break, and he says it again, and it's not a full arena, so it's kind of echoing throughout like the lower level, and just. Not a good look for Stallings, who said, I probably shouldn't have said that or I said the wrong thing. In the postgame press conference, he was asked about it. Um, so he didn't, you know, he, he didn't run from it. He didn't fully atone for it. Not that he, I guess, I don't know if he needs to atone for it. <laughs> Seems maybe a heavy-handed word there. But, uh, man, oh, man, just things cannot go right for that program right now. And I wonder, um, does he get a third year? You know, if they end this season... I don't know, 12, 13 wins or whatever. Does Pitt say, you know what, one more year or, uh, you know, this uh, you got less than your first season here and this isn't going the right way. Do we pull the ripcord here and start over? Well, there are precedents for 
coaches being moved for poor performance after just two years. And um, I, I don't know that Kevin Stallings is a candidate candidate for that, but I could see why he might be. And then, of course, at, at Memphis, Tubby Smith is obviously a candidate uh, for that as well. I guess uh, on the Stallings situation, I'd say this. He is speaking truths. I mean, I guess as long as we're conceding that he, he his program never actually did. Pay yeah, that's also, for player. <laughs> that is a <laughs> like, vital like component I, to this. Fair, fair point, yeah, fair point. Yeah, like I've always said, I vouch for nobody. So, like, whatever. But you do have to stay above it. Um, as a Division One head coach, particularly when there's cameras and, and microphones all around you. Uh, but I have always thought it was odd that um, I say basketball because I think fans are closer to the characters involved in basketball than they are certainly in football and outside of an on-deck circle, certainly baseball. Um, you know, you are very close to these people. If you sit courtside an NBA game, you are, in some cases, you could be inches from LeBron James, inches from Russell Westbrook. And if you're sitting behind a bench at a basketball game, you're a couple of feet from a head coach, from all the players. They can hear everything you say. And I've always thought it was odd that it's just socially acceptable to scream and yell at mean things at these people. Like, in what other workplace is that normal? Like, can you imagine if you were trying to write a column and there were three people within five feet of you just going, hey, Norlander, you suck. That's, Norlander, that's, you're the worst writer. You're, at, you're getting into my mental space every time it, I do this. So thank you for opening, it, opening it's just, it's just, It's just a weird thing. I, I, like, the idea that you can go sit on the court at a basketball game, get within feet of Kevin Durant, and tell him he's the P word, and he can't say anything back, or, is, or he might get in trouble if he does say something back, is bananas to me. Like the idea that that's just sort of, hey, it's at a basketball game and it's all fun, that you can yell. And sometimes, you know, when we're talking about the sport of basketball, yell racially insensitive things towards players. Hey, you thug. Like I've heard all this stuff before. Is 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 bananas to me. But, you know, I, I'm not capable of changing the world. If you, 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 you know, you put it on a petition, uh, ask me to sign something that says, Fans shouldn't be able to just yell mean things, <laughs> mean and inappropriate things at coaches and players, things that you'd never think about yelling at somebody in a restaurant or a bar or um, uh, any other or basically any other workplace without the f- actual fear of repercussions. That The idea that you'd be c- perfectly comfortable yelling those things at a basketball arena is bananas to me. So if like left up to me, I'd say, yeah, let's get rid of that. But it ain't up to me and it doesn't seem to be changing. So if you're Kevin Stallings, you have to you have to just stay above it as as difficult as as that might sometimes be. The only issue I really have with it, though, is that it's something I've heard from coaches in light of the FBI scandal, which is the anxiousness to rationalize poor job performance by either saying or suggesting, well, hey, I'm not cheating like everybody else. You know, that's essentially what he was saying. Hey, we have, yeah, we're getting our brains beat in right now, but like the other team cheats and we don't. So what do you want me to do? And honestly, I've heard some of that from uh, Memphis fans. You know, Tubby Smith hasn't signed a top 150 player since he got at Memphis. It's literally never happened in my lifetime. It's happening now. And the Memphis fans, just the handful of them that are still defending the state of things, they say, well, like, we, we got a clean coach. 
and everybody else is dirty. So what are you supposed to do? And I just find that <clears throat> wrong. Uh, I, like I don't pretend that college basketball is clean, that recruiting is clean. I never have. But I don't think everybody is out there buying players either. And I sure as hell don't think they're all buying them for $100,000. You know, this past summer we did the coaches um, uh, series where we asked the Cana coaches series. We asked them questions. And one of the questions was, at the high major level, who is the guy you believe is actually doing it clean? That you don't – when you lose a player to him, you don't – you just go, hey, we lost. You know, what are we going to do? Well, at least I know that guy didn't – that guy didn't get up under me do something wild and coaches had every um uh right or opportunity to say nobody nobody at the power five level does it the right way are you out of your mind and i think we got a handful of those mm-hmm. but but we got more john beelines and we got more tony bennett's and we got mark fuse and greg guards and mike i don't brett. have the list of mike we got mike brett and those guys have all been successful they've all recruited at least in moments high level players uh, I, I saw a clip earlier today with John Calipari talking about Trey Young. Obviously, Kentucky lost Trey Young to to Oklahoma. And John, I, I think when John loses a player, sometimes he thinks maybe something got done. But there was nothing in his tone or words that suggested he felt like maybe he was like, like Lon Kruger. I have so much respect for him. And Lon promised him that they would run everything through him and that he would shoot whenever he wanted to shoot, do whatever he wanted to do. And he's like, I'm over here saying, hey, you know, I'll give you an opportunity, but we're going to, you know, we're, you'll be surrounded by other great players and, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see how it all works out. Like, I promised the kid nothing. Lon's promised him everything. And I give Lon credit. It worked. And he was telling the truth. He wasn't lying because go watch him play. Everything's Trey Young. He's responsible for everything over there. And so I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is Lon Kruger signed Trey Young, five-star prospect, probably going to be the national player of the year. And even the coaches who recruited against him for Trey Young don't think it was dirty. And so I get really frustrated when I hear coaches now. Every time, um, you know, like they're trying to rationalize why things aren't going well for them, pointing at the FBI investigation and trying to pretend that it's literally impossible to be great at college basketball or even good at college basketball without doing what it appears a coach at least one at Arizona was doing – a coach at least one at Auburn was doing, a coach at least one at USC was doing, and the coaching staff at Louisville was doing. I, I just reject that. And that is, that is on some level what Kevin was doing last night, and I don't think that's fair because I don't think that's accurate. Yeah, I know we got to get out of here, uh, but I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that really hasn't been articulated anywhere else that I've seen so far this season. I completely, completely agree with that sentiment, um, and it frankly should be out there. Even more to an extent, and uh, Stallings do that, doing that a little bit low rent. Um, that was probably some of his own personal frustration with his own job performance coming out. Real quick before we wrap up, it is our weekly game now. Um, Trey Young plays against Oklahoma State. That's a home game. He is averaging 29.6 points per game, 10.7 assists. We are going to bump this from just points to both points and assists. So we will stick with his 10.7 assist average over under. But the points, I cannot settle for 29.6. That is just simply too low for a home game against an Oklahoma State team that might wind up to be the worst in a very deep and very good Big 12. I'm going to set the over under for Trey Young points at, and I will remind listeners, I do not believe GP has been right on this once so far this season. We'll set it at 35.5. Five points and 10.7 assists for Trey Young versus the soon versus the Cowboys. Where are you going with this, GP? You're right. I've never been right about Trey Young. 
because I keep saying there's just no way he can do that, and then he just, and then he does it. Thirty-five point um, five. That's tempting to take that over. Is this the game that I, that he regresses to the average though? I, I'm taking the under. I'm going under thirty-five point five points, okay. and I'm going over ten point seven assist. I will go over thirty-five point five points, and I will it's go. Ridiculous. I, I'm doing the opposite, and I'm going under ten point seven. It's ridiculous that you could reasonably say you think a six-foot-two freshman is about to score at least thirty-six points tonight in a Big Twelve game. I'm going over, baby. I know. It's like it's totally, you're probably right. It's just ridiculous that you can reasonably say that. I know. I know. But I do love this game, and I think the listeners do as well. When we do our next podcast later this week, we'll be sure to follow up and see how we did. If there is a, if there's a dedicated podcast listener that knows when we started this and wants to go back and track how wrong or right either, either of us has been, we can make this a season-long thing because uh, Trey Young over under is certainly uh, very riveting in and of itself, not to mention just how awesome he is. Shouts to Trey Young. Shouts to the other great little guard in the history of college basketball, the homie Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. It's free. It's fun. You can rate it favorably. In fact, you should. Five stars and nice comments. That's all I'm asking from you. And we will talk to you again later this week. Till then, take care. <laughs>